Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. For those of you who are new, welcome. This is a show all about how some really interesting brands are mobilizing their masses and becoming more authentic through using the voice of their consumer. And today, I am on with Freshly and their CMO, Mayor Gupta. Now, this conversation was specific and highly interesting because of what we discussed in the world of being direct. First of all, I'm going to say this on the interview as well, but you should follow Mayor on LinkedIn because he's got a lot of really interesting expertise and perspective when it comes to being always on, being vulnerable, and notably the differences between what is happening now and maybe what happened in marketing 10 years ago, 25 years ago, and earlier. So this conversation hinges upon where the direct industry, direct-to-consumer is going, and how it is impacted by the way that marketing has changed. And we talk about the two perhaps opposing forces in that campaign-based performance marketing style and building relationships over time. He has a lot to say here, and so we focused on it. So I really hope you enjoy that. I'm going to back away and let Mayor tell you himself. So without further ado, here's our interview for today from Freshly. It's Mayor Gupta. All right, everybody, I'm here with Freshly and their chief marketing officer, Mayor Gupta. Mayor, thanks so much for joining the show today. I, I can't wait to have this conversation with you. <laughs> thanks, uh, Adam, for having me over. The first thing that I'm going to say is actually a message to the listeners. If you don't follow Mayor on LinkedIn, do that. And, and specifically because I think a lot of the things that he brings to light with regard to how marketing should be treated today, specifically in a direct capacity, is enlightening. It's one of the, it's one of my favorite LinkedIn profiles to follow actually in, in regards to that. So quick plug, but I'm going to start now I'll turn to you, Mayor. I'm going to start with, with a couple of questions. I want to talk just very briefly about your journey to Freshly. Um, and I want to get that context in because I know you've moved from massive companies, fortune 100 organizations to this direct, I don't even want to say startup because Freshly is huge, but uh, more direct player. And then I want to talk about the industry specifically, but Let's get the let's get the baseboard in here and, and and learn a little bit more about how you came to Freshly. Sure, I think uh, the journey to Freshly will will make sense if I just spent a minute talking about how I even got into marketing because that in itself yeah. is uh, is a little bit accidental and uh, I consider myself very fortunate and it's also exciting now. So I. Uh, back in 2000, I started as a pure engineer, as a technologist, um, you know, literally was a was an architect, worked on Unix, C++, Java, JDB, and wore all kinds of hats. Uh, fortunately enough, now in hindsight, it was an accident, but in mid-2000s, one of my mentors had asked me to become a product lead for an ad tech product that we were building. And uh, that was my venture from pure technology to building technology and product for marketing and advertising. And thankfully... You know, in parallel to that, marketing itself in the 2000s has been evolving dramatically where it now sits at the intersection of data and tech. And uh, personally, I just kept taking baby steps towards the center of marketing. And here I am, um, you know, as an engineer, getting a paycheck to play a role, uh, a small role, uh, you know, in the world of marketing. Um, so that's how, of course, that that my definition of marketing perhaps is very flawed or or misplaced but that's how i i got there and then uh, you know over the years uh, just my roles and how i got to freshly from spotify it's, it's always interesting and, and challenging to leave an organization like spotify you only get um you know one or, or two of those every decade or every two decades so 
Um, I learned a lot from there, but the reason why I decided to join Freshly One, um, I, as an entrepreneur, as a failed entrepreneur, and as an engineer, I always had this very strong, unsatisfied desire to get earlier on in the journey of a company. And with Freshly, I found the culture that I felt I could be part of and really enjoy a leadership team and, and, and people that I love meeting. Uh, most importantly, you know, the mission and purpose um, to transform food, to transform people's lives, to remove the barriers to healthy eating, I felt was really, really strong. And what I saw uh, underneath was the opportunity to create a Spotify, to create the next Amazon at Freshly. So that is, you know, that is what at least went into my decision-making process. And, and uh, I've enjoyed and learned a lot uh, in this past year, year plus or so. Um, and same way, I learned tremendous lot, you know, during my experience at Spotify and even prior. So now with Freshly, part of this uh, direct uprising, I say it because it's an industry that I guess really since the rise of, of Facebook and other social platforms at the end of the late 2000s and into the 2010s has in, endured a crazy amount of growth. I have a specific question to start this out. Normally on these podcasts, we, we talk about sort of stories of consumers and, and we'll get there. But when you talk about relationships and capturing journeys, you know, people's relationships with food are uh, are, are unique, they're powerful, they're raw, they're vulnerable, and I know that you, that you value that a lot. But at the same time, in my, at least in, in my view, uh, direct commerce has completely uprooted a lot of other industries. And the, the legacy organizations have been shattered in some cases by direct upstarts, completely disrupting them. But it is based in two things which I see could potentially interfere with each other. I want to get your thoughts on it. The first is building a relationship and being personalized and being one-to-one and capturing raw and authentic journeys. The other one is marketing to grow that business in a performance capacity where you are looking for business metrics to be hit and to steal something that we just talked about prior to this, that same-day gratification of making sure that you're converting and getting clicks and all that good stuff. To me, those two tend to rub each other almost the wrong way because they almost act against each other. But you're in this great position where you toe the line. And I want to know your thoughts on just how that direct landscape is coming together with marketing to create something which is both helpful to the bottom line as well as helpful to the relationships you build. Sure. I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, uh, I feel we could spend a whole day talking about that. Probably. <laughs> um, um, I'm going to break it apart into, into two parts, exactly uh, the way you put it. And I think there's no question that we are living in a consumer-led era. And uh, this is different from at least when I was young and a you know, kid growing up in India. You know, it was an era of the brands, an era of retailers and then e-tailers. Um, and at all the brand, I think we were all gullible. We saw an ad and we went to the store and that's all, that's all we knew. You know, we had no choice, no option, no access. Um, loyalty was a thing. So if you, if you had a doctor, your next three generations went to the same doctor and so on. Uh, I think data and technology and the proliferation uh, has dramatically changed all of that. And we all, we all know it. So it's very obvious. So D to C, it's not... I, I don't think about this as, oh, this is invention. I think it's a very natural response 
to the consumer habits that are evolving and changing very rapidly, almost weekly, daily, and so on. So hence, brands don't have an option but to truly understand the consumer, truly understand the human, not just what they do, but why they do that, right? The, the, the causality. And it is inevitable for brands to build that direct relationship. It, it's, it's just not optional anymore. So hence, we are seeing the growth of direct-to-consumer as a channel, and uh, the quintessential brands are challenging themselves and driving breakthrough innovation to, to basically figure out how to do it. So that's all well said and done. Now, there is a conundrum to that, and uh, it, it, a little bit of that touches the role of marketing today and how marketing is operating. So I'm going to go back to that, the three stages uh, of the world, the brand letter or the e-tailer letter and so on. The way I take that and now break it apart into marketing as we've seen in the last 50 years and won't go too far back, I break that into three phases. The 19, somewhat 1970s to the 2000s and the 30 years or so, I, I call that uh, in a way the uh, the era of the madmen, where uh, it was all about the Midas touch, you know, the most witty Super Bowl ad, uh, and whoever had the best creative, pretty much drove traffic. People went, saw the ad, got excited, bought stuff. Where everybody was unique, just like the other person, the other product. It was all about being white, stronger, more lasting, and so on. Um, that, I think that created the perception of what marketing does, which is spend a lot of money, some shit happens. Then came in the 2000s, what I call the digital confusion or the digital bolt-on. A lot of technology, the MarTech landscape. Um, everybody thought about digital marketing as an added layer to marketing. We None of us realized, well, it isn't really digital marketing. It is marketing in the digital world to a consumer who's living an inherently digital life, where at some point, and now is the case, for most companies, digital isn't really a word, right? This is who you are, that's the world we live in. But there was a lot of confusion, right? And where we all became like a hammer, where technology was a hammer and we were, everything looked like a nail. But something happened in the 07, 08 phase with the, uh, with the invent of uh, the iPhone and Facebook and the social landscape and this notion of growth at all costs with a lot of VC money coming in. And that has had a very lasting impact, I feel, on the craft of marketing, on the art and science of marketing, because that basically put a lot of pressure on marketing to prove its incrementality, to prove the so-called ROI on every dollar spent, which is absolutely fair. But the response that the marketing world had was an over-indexing on the extreme side where we are now trying to quantify every single dollar spent, where we are now trying to get to what you call the same day gratification and laddering up all the way to pure binary, almost you know, FOMO-driven direct response performance marketing, which isn't wrong because at the end you want to drive growth, but it's coming at a cost of the soul of who you are. It's coming sometimes at the cost of your purpose and your mission. Now, in the short term, it's doing brilliantly well for a lot of companies, especially D2C. In the mid to long term, brands and organizations will start to realize this is not sustainable, especially with today's consumer that has so much access, has so much awareness and conscience. They are looking for brands that are authentic, that have a purpose, you know, and who mean what they are selling. So we talk about how to toe the line here 
And strategically, I am 100% in line with you. I think that this is um, the, the way that companies need to think. If I can talk tactically for a moment, the way that marketing has also been, and, and I think that direct-to-consumer has, has tried to apply this, though maybe in a more transactional way, this is why I'm asking the question, talking about one-off initiatives or campaigns as a way of driving those metrics, driving business, driving acquisition, driving conversion, things like that, also stands at, at almost an opposite stance to building relationships and being, and I'm going to use something else that I saw from you from LinkedIn, of being always on. To me, it seems that you must do this in order to build those authentic relationships truly and develop genuine loyalty as opposed to just a string of transactions. I know you have thoughts on this, so I want to get your views on how always on can help improve direct generally, but improve freshly also for the better. Yes. Um, of course, I'm very passionate about that, but I think you, you made a good point. Look, strategically, we all know this, and this is all uh, that's being taught and, and read, but how do you really make it happen in the real world where the rubber meets the road? I'll talk at at a high level, but then we'll do five clicks down to say, how does it really become real in everyday marketing spend? So at a high level, first of all, there's no question in my mind that marketing should be held accountable for growth. Like the concept of having a marketing function and a growth function is flawed. I think that's a band-aid. If you're, if you're not holding your, whatever you want to call this person, a CMO or a chief growth officer, if that person is not held accountable for business outcomes, uh, then you have the wrong team, wrong function, and maybe the wrong person as well. So that's given. Now, the definition of growth, the way I look at it, the way we look at it at Freshly, is not just a quantitative growth. It's, it's the intersection of growth of the brand, which is which creates new demand, so demand creation, is growth of the user base, which is uh, pure acquisition, so um, demand capture, and then growth of the user value, because the way you're calling it the relationship but that relationship has to drive incremental value with your consumer with every subsequent interaction. And when you do that, you basically drive um, demand retention. So those are the three, um, three intersecting wheels. The concept of always on is very simple, that these three wheels don't start and stop. They have to constantly run. In other words, very simply, um, if you're only focused on demand capture, at some point, you'll stifle growth you know, the amount of demand and your TAM you have in the marketplace will dry out because competition is increasing too. So you need, you need something that is constantly running, creating new demand. Sometimes that creation of demand is happening within the same category. Sometimes that's happening within the same market. In some places, well, if you're saturating both of those, you have to create new categories. You have to create new audiences. In some cases, you have to create a new market or enter a new market. So it's not alien, but it's just that it doesn't get applied. Now, your question, which is absolutely fair, is theoretically and strategically, it makes all the sense. But if you have $100 to spend and all those $100 could be spent on, uh, let's say, same day click conversion or AKA performance marketing to acquire users who are buying your product, why should I spend 20 of those in creating new demand? You know, I have, I have all these millions of people here waiting to buy my product. I can give them $20 off and fulfill my numbers, hit my quarterly goals, you know, have a brilliant year. Well, the challenge is this is where marketing today has to balance immediate short-term with mid to long-term goals. And you have to see that train that you just can't see right now. And I think the way to tactically operationalize this is take 
X percent of your marketing spend. I, I'll typically say 75 to 80%. Make, take that 75 to 80%, use science, technology, and storytelling to get to your 100% of business goals, which is your performance marketing, your consumer insights, your analytics, you know, your retention, CRM strategies to get to your 100% goal and then use the other 20% then to focus on demand creation, to build a serendipity of marketing where you'll be asked less questions because you're already hitting you know, your business goals. The challenge happens when the mix is inverse. And that inverse was the case in those 30 years of marketing where 80% of your spend from marketing was unaccountable. It went in the part of, in the funnel of marketing that you could not measure and 15 to 20% was measurable. I think that has to be flipped in order for us to run those three wheels at the same time. Agreed. And it's, oh, this is a great, I, I'll be honest with you, and, and I know I mentioned this before, but to guests, uh, I don't, we don't normally get into this level of depth with regard to how to, to tackle marketing, what those buckets are. So I really appreciate this. And um, here's maybe a good way to, to segue because you are obviously following this philosophy at Freshly, and you've got all these wonderful stories and customers that you already have that you can tap into to help you along. Um, perhaps in attributable ways, but I want to know how the journeys of your consumers that you already have are helping to inform the marketing that you do or how you're integrating their voices into your message. Uh, obviously, referrals, also a super strong part of direct growth, and um, I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that, but I want to know specifically with regard to the stories, how are they being integrated? Um, yes, there are, uh, there are many different ways. And, and first of all, I would like to clarify, we are, we are early on in our journey and freshly, and um, you know, like any other brand, any other organization, there are a lot of failures, perhaps more failures than successes, but we are constantly challenging, challenging ourselves to, to become a data-inspired organization, not a data-dependent, and, uh, and constantly learning from those mistakes and those failures and into successes. So, and and that's, that's the case for every single function within Freshly. Um, but to your point, Adam, on how are we leveraging, um, you know, the understanding and all the insights we have from our existing user base, I think it's for an organization like us, data and insight is actually not a capability that we have, but it's one of our core values. You know, we, we thrive on that. So we'll give you some examples. For instance, um, we, we get close to 40,000 or 50,000 ratings on a weekly basis on our different meals. We, um, we went net national last year. Uh, we delivered close to 35 million meals last year. Uh, these are all fully prepared, never frozen, healthy, tasty, and convenient for our consumer base. And uh, we launch one to four new meal every week. So that's the rapid pace of innovation from a core product standpoint. The 40,000 ratings we get on a weekly basis from a user base Around 15 to 20,000 of those are open text, unstructured responses. So this is where we leverage data and science and technology. So we have NLP, which is table stakes. So most brands have it. We use NLP to understand and dissect that user response. So, you know, for one example, we, we had launched, let's say last year, a dish um, like chimichurri chicken, where uh, our user base actually did not like planting cakes. Now, I'm not a big fan of planting cake, but we had we had done research. We had gone through an extensive Nestle-like um, development process and testing process. But at scale, that's the feedback we got, and we have standardized ratings. Within two weeks, 
the innovation team went back, put a different side dish and responded back to that message. We launched the dish again and the ratings, you know, broke our 4.0, which is our standard baseline ratings average for, for fastest growing meals. But that's a very tangible example of how we are leveraging our current user base, their feedback, their input, applying that into a product development process, using agile model to turn it back. In a conventional CPG model, that process, if it was caught, if that feedback, if that feedback was caught, would likely take nine to 12 months to get it back on shelf in a retail environment. So that's, that's the intersection of D2C and what we are trying to do. And there are examples of that, of course, we are, most D2C brands or all D2C brands have a plethora of first party data that tells you what the users are doing. What it doesn't tell you to a great extent is why they are doing that. And that is where starting last year, we started to invest a lot more in a lot of call and quant research to really understand the causality, the why behind the what. And now we are in, now we are in the journey to use that insight to tweak our message to understand our current user base and the user base for whom we perhaps have to create new demand. So you have to talk to them differently and so on. So it's, again, very early on in our journey. We now have all these insights. We're now trying to action off of it and so on. And I'm excited to see where that ends up going um, because to me, there's not much more content out there that is... uh popular than, than that related to food. I mean, maybe pets and infants and things like that, but just the, the, the raw, uh, cooking and eating experience is one, which is inherently communal. And, uh, I just look forward to seeing how that, how that develops. So here's what I will, uh, here's actually what I want to want to close with because we we've covered so much here and we've covered on both the strategic and the tactical side, uh, how to improve marketing within direct, how to build those relationships and uh, how to allocate maybe even a marketing budget. A lot of people who listen to this show are either within brands already or they are trying to build their own. Nonetheless, looking to learn from marketing leaders as to how to become generally more authentic in the way that they market. It seems like you have a really good hold on this. And so maybe somebody doesn't have a fresh lead to wield as you do, but to those people, what might you give us some advice as to how to start the path towards getting more authentic or getting more direct in the relationships that they build? Um, I honestly don't know if I have uh, a silver bullet because honestly, I'm still trying to figure it out. And um, myself personally and uh, myself as part of this, the freshly ship and the freshly journey, I'll tell you from the mistakes I've made and the lessons I've learned, one is very important to to have a perspective, to have a point of view. And I, I can say that both as an individual and as a brand, uh, which basically means, you know, you've got to stand up for something. You've got to have a belief system because as an individual, if you don't have one, you really cannot stand behind your brand. And but as an individual, uh, if you do have a belief system, you have to then ensure that you're you're ensuring that your brand stands up for something. There are a lot of organizations we see who are hesitant today because of uh, a lot of cannibalization that can happen. But I think for today's consumer, they are leaning on brands who do stand up for something, have a perspective, have a point of view, and they they stick on to those compared to the ones that are very uh, abstract. And that is one very simple way that I feel brands have to stay authentic. Two, 
of course, in order for you to do that, you have to be very clear about why you exist, your purpose and your mission. If that is lost, it reflects in everything you do. It reflects in your marketing, it reflects in your product roadmap. Um, and that's why sometimes when people talk about brand, see, marketing is only the orchestrator of the brand. They are not the owner of the brand. Every single function, every single individual in the company owns the brand. Your consumers own your brand. In fact, your consumers are your brand. And that is why things like purpose and mission, they aren't just lines and paragraphs in the deck. You, the challenge that we all have is how do you imbibe that, not only in your marketing message and your collateral and, and your experiences, but in your product roadmap, the decisions that you make as a business. You saying no to a massive opportunity simply because it did not connect well with who you are, your purpose and your mission. Last thing I would say is for, for anybody, this is all of us in it, is, is if as marketing as a function is continues to become more and more complex, not complicated, unless we choose to make it, um, at the end of the day, there is no such thing as perfection in marketing. It is only experimentation and you have to just test and learn. Don't be afraid to fail and just keep applying those, those learnings. But that's the world of marketing today. It's, it's no longer the vertical T-shaped marketing. It is marketing, data, science, tech, finance, PL, all those aspects. It's fun. It's challenging. But, you know, it's the consumer setting a high bar for all of us. And, and we, have to, we have to leap forward. Well, first of all, I, I loved how you started that out by saying you don't have all the answers and, and, and by leaning on those times when you learned the most. Um, so that that's all fantastic advice. And uh, I, I it's, again, it's, it's a refreshing perspective. I don't get that very often. I can't thank you enough for, for joining uh, today and talking a little bit about what you're doing at Freshly and specifically those thoughts on, on marketing and its evolution within direct. Um, what else can I say? Mayor, thanks so much for, for joining the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Adam, and uh, I enjoyed the discussion as much as you did. Thank you so much to Mayor Gupta from Freshly for joining the podcast today. Uh, that was one of the most specific but insightful conversations I've had on this podcast. I'm really, really excited to have brought it to the people. And for you, I'm happy that you joined me. If you love this podcast, or heck, even if you like it, here's something that you can do. Follow us on LinkedIn. We got a page there, Authentic Influence Podcast. It's where all the shows go. It's where clips go. It's where other fun information will go as it becomes available. Hint, hint, maybe with some live events later on in the year. Who knows? And I'm also there myself, of course, Adam Connor. Connect with me. Follow me. Tell me what you think of the show in a message. And you can also do this by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts iTunes specifically, but wherever. That public show of support is really, really great. I'll be back again in just a few days with another fantastic story of how a brand is mobilizing its masses to become more authentic. And until then, for Authentic Influence, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.